Welcome to episode 103 of the Women of the Military podcast. This week, my guest is Commander Corrine Devon. She was born overseas and lived in six different military bases while her father served in the Dental Corps. Nine generations of distinguished naval family preceded Corrine and inspired her to pursue a career in the U.S. Navy. She deployed in support of Operation Iraqi Freedom in 2009 with the United States Navy to Al-Assad, Iraq, and has enjoyed her travel to over 50 countries in Europe, the Middle East, and Asia. It was really fun to get to talk to Corrine about her experience in the Navy, and I'm excited to share her story this week. So let's get started. You're listening to the Women of the Military podcast, where we share the stories of female service members and how the military touched their lives. I'm Amanda Huffman. I'm an Air Force veteran, author of Women of the Military, and a collaborative author of Brave Women, Strong Faith. I am also a military spouse and mom. I created Women of the Military podcast as a place to share stories of military women past and present with the goal of finding the heart of the story while uncovering the triumphs and challenges women face while serving in the military. If you want to be encouraged by the stories of military women and be inspired to change the world, keep tuned for this latest episode of Women of the Military. Welcome to the show, Corrine. I'm excited to have you here. Oh my gosh, Amanda, thank you so much for having me. It's so nice to be in the company of another female veteran. So thank you for your service and also the Air Force. I love it. So let's start with the first question of why did you decide to join the military? Well, if you told my eight-year-old self that I would be doing my father's job and deploying to the same part of country that he was, which at the time was Operation Desert Storm, I would have told you that you were crazy. Well, guess what? That little eight-year-old girl decided to do exactly just that. When I was in college, my major was communications, and I would work with my dad on mobile dental vans. And this one time I went on the van, we actually treated second graders. And why second graders? Well, that's when kids start getting their adult teeth. That's when they're starting to understand the difference between right and wrong. You can actually teach them something. It sticks a little bit. Because let's be honest, with kids, the cement isn't dry. And as I was working with him, I realized that this little girl, that I can be such an impact in her life. And I realized I wanted to go to dental school. But I was thinking, how am I going to pay for for it. Dental school is so expensive. I'm not sure if, do you know how much dental school actually costs? Just out of curiosity, Amanda? No, no, I don't know. So most people don't realize because they, they think dentists charge ones, but we actually go in debt just from dental school alone, anywhere between 300 to $800,000. I know the shock. I know the tongue is dropped on the floor. I see it. I can see it from here, but the reality of it, it's, it's really, really expensive. And, you know, obviously it depends if you go state, private, you know, if you're going to school in New York versus California versus Alabama. And so I thought, oh my gosh, my parents just helped me pay to go to an awesome private college for four years. You know, how am I going to do this? Well, guess what? The Army, the Air Force, and the Navy have a program called Health Profession Scholarship Program. And they also have another one called the Collegiate Program, and they're very similar. But basically, the program that I was awarded a scholarship paid for dental school. So it paid for three of my four years of dental school. And in return, I gave them years of service. Now, I'm going to tell everyone who's ever interested in doing this, if you are in college, talk to a recruiter and ask for this because they only give four-year options. I learned that from my friend, Lieutenant Kelly Hall. She is a talent acquisition officer in Los Angeles, and she's also the officer in charge. And what's great about this program is it doesn't matter how expensive your dental school is. 
It's they will cover it. You never see a bill. And then on top of that, you get a monthly stipend. So having the Navy pay for my school and swearing in my swimsuit the day after I graduated was how I entered the Navy in 2007. That's such a great program. And I think so many people don't even know that option is out there or how expensive dental school is. That's crazy. I never knew that. So that's awesome that they have that program that you can use. Absolutely. And they do have one for medical school, pharmacy school, the physical therapy, nurses. It, it varies a little bit, but it is same with each of the branches. So I actually applied with both the Air Force and the Navy and the Navy got my bid. Awesome. That's really cool. Yeah, I had someone contact me a couple weeks ago and she was like, well, I think I'm going to go in and get my GI Bill because I want to be a doctor. And I was like, I, I think there's a way that you can not do it that way. I was like, I think you can have the military pay for your school. And she was like, oh, okay. And so then she started to talk to a recruiter. I need to follow up and see what she found out. But I was like, I think there's a different way to do that. But that's a good example of the dental school. Do you have to have your degree already? Or how does that work if you're like in high school and you want to be a dentist and serve in the military? So there's a couple different options. I know for college, some of my colleagues were in ROTC before they got the scholarship. You actually, I believe you have to have your bachelor's degree before you go to dental school, but that's something I would verify with the recruiter just because, you know, I had dental school paid from paid for back in 2003 to 2007. So that was like 17 years ago when I started. So the rules have might've changed a little bit, but I definitely know to go into the program, there is certain requirements and it's just, they call it the needs of the Navy. And I'm sure it's no different, the Air Force and the Army. But dentist is actually one of the things that, you know, a lot of people do their four years or eight years and they get out. So that's why it's a scholarship they offer. It wasn't offered when my dad came in the service because they had so many dentists. They didn't need to lure people in by paying for their education. Yeah, that's a really great program. And I think it's another good example that if you want to do something in the military, there's might be a way to do it. And they might even pay you to do it. So you always should do your research before you just charge in and say, I'm going to just do it this way because there might be another option. I totally agree. Totally, totally agree. So after you graduated from dental school, is that when you went to boot camp or how does that work when you go active duty? I guess what happened after you commissioned and you went active duty? So I actually commissioned twice. I actually commissioned while I was in dental school as an ensign. So an 01, which I believe is the second lieutenant in the Air Force, if I'm not mistaken. And about halfway through dental school, I went to what was called officer indoctrination school, or it's now called officer development school. And it's a six-week program in Newport, Rhode Island, where there is pretty much all of the staff community. So it's lawyers, doctors, dentists, nurses, a couple of nuke guys, um, nuclear submarine guys who basically go there. And you, you learn how to wear a uniform. You learn the military etiquette. You have a bunch of chiefs that are ordering you around, do a bunch of push-ups. You get on a boat where they you feel like you're going to drown, you know, gas chamber. I mean, all sorts of crazy stuff. But you do that and you graduate. And I did that halfway through dental school. Some people do it after they graduate. And then um, you enter the Navy. So I did that in 2005. And then I actually entered the Navy June 27th, 2007. But my actual date was May 12th, the day after I graduate as a lieutenant. And then after entering from that program, you have an option in the dental corps. You can do a credential tour. 
You can do, you could go to an AEGD, which is Events Education and General Dentistry, or a Graduate Practice Residency. So they're all very similar. It's kind of the Navy's way just to kind of calibrate you, maybe supplement, maybe in dental school, you got to do a ton of extractions, but not a bunch of root canals. And you get a lot of mentors. The residency programs are a bit more focused and discipline, where the credential tour is just you're kind of rotating around. Um, I definitely encourage your audience to do one of those programs, either a hospital-based one or a clinic one, just because it helps you start growing your network. Because let's be honest, the military is a corporation. It's probably one of the largest corporations in the world. And if you can start growing and building those relationships, you never know how one of those people may play a pivotal part in your career later on down the road. Yeah, that's so true. And that's any career field. And even just being a veteran is such a important tool in your toolbox, I guess you'd say. Like I'm connected with so many veterans on LinkedIn, different branches, different career fields, and they give me guests to interview. They help spread awareness and they're always supporting me and it can help you find a job. And it's so important to build up that network. I couldn't agree more. I mean, I could name person after person who has helped me get where I'm at today because of those veterans and just the people who still serve. So yeah, Yeah. big shout out to all of them. Big shout out to my army, my Navy, my Air Force tribe for that. And I was looking at your bio and I saw that you deployed to Iraq, which you mentioned a little bit when you were talking about your dad. So you deployed to Iraq. What What do you do when you deploy as a dentist to Iraq? Were you doing dental work over in Iraq? I actually was, believe it or not. I know most people people always ask me, like, how do you deploy? Well, guess what? When you finish your one-year program, you have the choice of either going on a ship or going with the Marines or going overseas. Well, I wanted to go green side, as we call it. Blue side is considered ship. So I decided to go with the Marines and I wanted to deploy. So I got to my um, Marine Corps Air Station Miramar. I raised my hand. I told my executive officer, I want to go. And can I go now? (laughs) So one of the requirements I just asked him is that if I could go with another female officer, just because let's be honest, in the military, only 18% of the entire U.S. Armed Forces have made up of females. There's not a lot of us, believe it or not. And so knowing that I could be with another officer who we could bounce ideas off, share some things. I just think it helps build camaraderie. And it gives you kind of just that comfort going into a country where there's uncharted minefields and you kind of, you know, you live kind of by the seat of your pants and you don't know what happens next. So in that fall, I started doing pre-deployment training with the Marines, which actually met me, you know, doing gas mask training, me getting in Marine physical shape, shooting guns, going on like big humps with gear that if I stand up straight, I would fall back. Um, but the Marines are so good. They take such good care of you. They, they call you doc. I mean, these guys will catch bullets for you. I mean, I can't say how grateful I am to have them. As I did my training with my corpsman and the other doctor that came with me, we left in February of 2009 and we went to, we were in support of Operation Iraqi Freedom and we flew into Al-Assad, Iraq. So that was in the Al-Ambar province. It was a very active hot zone. Some people called Al-Assad Camp Cupcake because the food was so good, but it was a very large base. There was about 30,000 people there, my Iraqi security force, um, the hodgepodge of military, which was great. So I got to really work with Army, Air Force, guys from Africa. Africa. And, you know, over there, my mission was to get people out of pain, predominantly the active duty, and also maybe help with readiness. And what does readiness mean? So readiness means that if someone's due for a dental exam, I can do that right there on the spot. But that was our main focus. So we were part of a combat logistics battalion sent over there. And I was there until mid-September of 2009. And it's awesome. One of the cool stories I have, so your listeners won't be able to see this, but you might be able to see this. But if you look on your screen right here, 
here. I have a nice little scar on my shoulder. It might be blinded by my light, but that is from an AK-47 in Iraq. And that's what I always tell my Marines to give myself street credit. Now, I will tell you the full story that I did it to myself, which you give a bunch of doctors guns to empty ammunition in the middle of Iraq, you know, stuff's just going to happen. And let me just put it this way. These were insurgent weapons and the back oil, the weapon just pulled my skin apart. And I begged and begged the medical officer to make it look pretty. And so that is my, my battle scar. Wow. What you, what were you doing with the weapon? Were you like trying to move them and then it like the recoiled and that's what caused it or what happened exactly? Right. So when I was shooting this gun, um, the range master sent up a field. He said, Hey, we recovered these weapons from insurgents, but we need to empty out the ammunition before we take it back to base because we were outside the wire. And so me and these other physicians that were in our team were like, yeah, let's do it. What else in our life are we going to get paid to like shoot a gun? Well, you have to keep in mind, these weapons came from a third world country. They did not go through the NRA. So it's like two pieces of metal and bubble gum at its finest, to be honest. So they told us one click. It was really fully automatic, not semi-automatic. So literally we were spraying the field. And as we're spraying the field, the back of the weapon is hitting my shoulder really, really hard to the point where it became bruised. So when I got back to base, it literally looked like I had a black eye. And as the swelling went down and the bruising went down, you could look like someone just pulled my skin and just stretched it right there. So fortunately, the general medical officer was a dermatologist by trade. And so he sewed it up and I've just learned to own it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense explaining. Yeah, because that's the only way to really describe it. It is a third world country and people use what they have to make it work. So exactly, exactly. So did you go off base a lot? Because you said you were outside the wire. I only went outside the wire three times. The entire time I was there, the Marines are very protective of their assets and me being one of them. um, They did not like us to go very far. So uh, the three times I went out was one was just on a day mission like that. Um, Another time was actually to go to our local Iraqi camp, which was really quite a cultural awakening because they are not used to seeing females in the military, females of authority. Like that is a complete foreign concept. Now, I was in the Marine um, cami, so I'm fully covered, even though it's like 120 degrees. And also as a dentist, that is something that is for them. So in their country, their culture, if it was a male, they would see a male dentist and the woman and the children could see a female or a male dentist. But knowing that I was American, they would want, you know, my expertise. They would ask me questions. So that's why I went outside the wire that time. And another time was just to just to work with my weapons, just because let's be honest, if you if you don't shoot for a while, you kind of it's like riding a bike, you just need to kind of get back in the swing of it. But yeah, that was the only time my life revolved around a, a mile radius for for seven months, kind of like the pandemic, except this is like our house, you know, except we have Netflix, and so we can go to sleep at night in our own bed. So it's a better deployment, I guess you could say. Yeah, the military is really all branches. I was Air Force, and I knew a bunch of people who wanted to go on missions outside the wire and they were like nope you don't need to leave the base so you can't leave the base and my job was to leave the base so I left the base all the time but but depending on like what your job is determines like where you're at and what your mission is and that's cool that you got to go and do that humanitarian mission to go to that Iraqi town I'm losing the word but you know to go and see those people and like help them and when you were talking about how, because I was in Afghanistan and the Afghan culture is very similar to the Iraqis where 
they don't really see American women as like women the way that they see the women that that are the same culture as them. But like they kind of told us you're kind of like a third sex because you're an engineer and you're a woman. So that doesn't really compute with the women that we know because they're not educated mainly and they're like our wives. And so it makes sense that they kind of were like, well, you're a woman, but you're also a dentist. So we're going to kind of like ignore that. I That was what, the way the Afghans explained it to us because we were engineers, which is a similar type of thing where it was like an important job in that country. And kind of they said it was kind of like being a doctor in America. So it was the same thing as like a dentist. Yeah. And, and the thing I would tell you is at first, you know, when I, I tell some of my friends this, they're like, oh, didn't you feel violated? Didn't you feel upset the way they would treat you? And I said, yeah, I mean, my very first patient was an Iraqi security force colonel. And he told the interpreter, who's this 13 year old daughter of someone that's trying to work on me? I want the real doctor. And I told I told him, I said, well, my boss is female, too. So I don't know what he said. He opened his mouth and let me treat on it. But then you also have to remember, like that concept is so foreign to them. And so at least you're bringing those conversations, that awareness to the table, because if that's all that they know, you you can't expect people just to change overnight. And if the one thing that I was able to do on my employment was to show people kindness and generosity and thoughtfulness without any expectation in return, then I feel like I did what us Americans believe so much to do, because that idea does not exist in their culture. If you do something for someone, there is an expectation that you you owe them. And so it's it was definitely... An eye-opening experience. I told all my friends who were all about, you know, women this and women that. I'm like, y'all need to go to the Middle East. Y'all need to go other places in the world. Trust me. Like, I don't disagree. There isn't things in America we can do better. But I'm telling you, there's other parts of the world that have not made nearly the progress that we've made here in the United States. That's true. Yeah. I think going to a third world country and especially a war zone, it just opens your eyes to things that you can't understand until you like see it on a real level. It just changes how you view the world. That's going to Afghanistan. I'm like not the same person because I saw things that I had never seen before and I won't ever forget. So like how we give money, how we how we advocate for different programs that all change just based on that experience of deploying to another country. Absolutely. I, I never knew I could be grateful for a toilet that flushed or for real silverware or the sound of a radio. I, I mean, I never got in a car for so long. And I remember, you know, coming back to Camp Pendleton California and getting on the freeway and just looking outside the window like, oh my gosh, because I hadn't experienced any of that for so long that you kind of forgot about it. So I definitely tell your listeners, you know, if you have any family members who do deploy, when people come back from deployment, they will experience reverse culture shock. And that is a real thing. So even though you see someone, they get off the airplane, they get off the bus and you run over and get the, give them a hug. I remembered as a child, we got so used to being my dad away that when he came back, not that we didn't want him to be back, but we like didn't know how to have him back. You know, you have someone injured back into the home and and there's definitely some adjustment. And if someone says, oh no, they came back and they're fine. I would actually be worried because, you know, they may be bottling up something. And as a person who's now a service member who drank the Kool-Aid and comes back, I didn't realize how post-deployment training would actually affect me in the sense of I was trying to get used to the fact that now like what it's like to drive on the freeway in California, or now I have to do my laundry or now I have to prep my food. And even certain foods, my body hadn't eaten for so long, almost like a vegetarian who tries a piece of meat. 
there was just even a physical adjustment. So I definitely tell, you know, anyone who goes through this, you know, you, you need a, you need a network, you need a tribe, an army of people just to kind of be there to support you and, and utilize those services. I mean, they're there for a reason. So I remembered when I came back from deployment, um, my family, we had some like just sit down sessions where we just talked things out and just in a safe place of like, what bothered us, what was on our mind, what our concerns were so that everyone felt like they had a voice and it was heard. So I definitely recommend that to any of your audience, even if you feel everything is hunky-dory and, you know, in candy land, still do it because you would be surprised just some of the feelings or things that people harbor because they had to be strong and they didn't feel that they could be confidently vulnerable. And that allows a space to really have that when you get home from deployment. Yeah, I got home from deployment and my husband was going to school. And so he spent a lot of time studying and I spent a lot of time by myself. And I feel like I slowly adjusted back, but we never talked about the deployment. So a lot of the stuff I just buried. And then years later, guess what? It came back and I finally had to get help um, and work through like my PTSD. But for a long time, I like buried it and I was fine. And like people were like, but you deployed like eight years ago. And I'm like, yep. <laughs> That's what happens when you don't talk about it. And like, I knew what the right answers were when the military was asked to check if I was okay. I knew what the right answers were. And I don't know, I felt like there was a stigma for saying like the wrong thing. And one time I opened up to a nurse and she said, you need to tell that to the doctor. And I was like, no, I just told it to you. (laughs) I can't, I don't think I can do it again. And she I was really frustrated because she didn't tell the doctor. And I was like, why did you ask me these questions if you weren't going to repeat it to the doctor? And then he was like, you're fine. And so because I didn't feel comfortable talking to a guy was the other thing. So, yeah, I think trying to be open and honest, it's really hard. The thing that I would tell to, you know, anyone out there, and again, you know, these are my views and, and not the views of the DOD when I, you know, when I say all this, you know, ask for help until you get the help you need. And don't stop asking because, you know, I will tell you just with my job, there are certain protocols, certain procedures that I do here where I am stationed in Italy that are so different than what I did in California, yet I am still an orthodontist in both places. And I even, um, I did my orthodontic training on an Air Force base. I did it at Lackland Air Force Base and working with the Army, the Air Force and the Navy on, you know, on a deployment operational platform and an educational one, it's given me a greater appreciation about different things in the services. There, there's definitely things that I love and definitely things are like, I can't wait to get back to the Navy. But there's also things I wish I could bring into the Navy. And having that safe place where you can kind of voice those things and having someone you feel comfortable go with, it's just priceless. So I, I definitely encourage, you know, anyone who is going through any of that stuff, you know, ask for help. And if you don't like who's there to go to help, find find some good resources. I, I tell that to my patients all the time, hey, listen, you know, you and I might just be oil and vinegar, but hey, here's some, you know, here's some other people you can go to get an opinion. And if you don't mind, let me know what they say, because if it's going to help me be a better provider for my, for you or for the next person person around, guess what? You are doing me a huge favor. So um, that's something I would definitely encourage anyone who's out there because it's hard to speak up. It takes courage to do so. It really does. Yeah. The showing like how humble you are and how you really want to help people. And it's not about like your ego. It's about learning and being a better person. And I think that's so important. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. So is there anything else from your military experience that really stands out that you want to talk about? A few things. Um, one thing that I will mention is I actually got into residency with the military. So I just mentioned that briefly here. But one of the great things about the military is they have residency program. And if you choose to go to a residency program in the military, if you owe any time back to them, um, like I did for dental school, 
it counts concurrently because you are serving a military population. So some of my friends who are oral surgeons, who they are my heroes because they're the ones who got me into orthodontics. They went to dental school for four years. Let's say they went to USC for four years, and then they went to Balboa or Portsmouth for four years. They only owe four years when they graduate. They don't owe eight years of school. So they were getting paid like a Navy lieutenant those four years and not accruing student loan debt and still accruing towards time towards promotion, retirement. So I am definitely grateful for that. That's something I would definitely tell you know any of your listeners, if you have any questions about going to orthodontics, I'm, I'm happy to answer any of those. Um, I'll definitely provide my social media handles and contact information at the end and, and to Amanda as well. And then the other experience I would tell you is go overseas. So I am hailing from Italy. So I should say ciao, Bella or buonasera. I'm located in Catania, Italy, Sicily. And I've also done a tour in Japan as well as the Middle East. And I'm actually getting ready to go back to Japan. And yes, being away from family is hard. I am nine hours ahead of my parents right now. And I will be 18 hours ahead when I move to Japan. However, you get a great thing called COLA, which is extra money overseas. You get to live in awesome places. I live out in town, so I actually don't even live on base. So I have an Italian landlord, but it also comes with Italian appliances. So smile. <laughs> some, days, some days you just you need to throw a rock at it to get it to work. But the travel is amazing. So before the pandemic, I was going on average 15 countries a year. And this was just the military encourages you to travel, encourages you to do things when you're overseas. So right now, we are authorized to travel within Italy um, by our Admiral of Six Fleet. So for 4th of July, I'm going to spend it with my cousin in Venice. And we're going to go up to Verona for the weekend. And what you do for a weekend, you, I mean, it's just pennies on the dollar what you do in the States. So that's something I would definitely, you know, don't be afraid to go somewhere and do something you may not ever get to do again. This is your time. And then my last plug, my third plug is also get involved in the community. And what I mean by that is I will tell you, I'm only five foot three. I am not someone who would ever I ever graze a runway. But when I was a little girl, I always wanted to model, but I was too short, too petite, four eyes, thick bottle top glasses. I, I was 95 pounds when I graduated from high school, a very, very late, late, late bloomer. Well, guess what? Here I come to Italy in my mid thirties, judging a fashion show with our Italian public affairs officer. And the next thing I know it right before the show starts, the director of the fashion Academy comes over with measuring tape, looks at me, grabs me, tells me in Italian, you know, andiamo, which means let's go. And I am in a dress with all these teenage girls walking down the streets of Catania for the St. Agatha. It's, it's a saint that they celebrate that she's a very well-separated fashion show. So you never know where things will take you or the childhood dreams that you, you forgot about that will actually come true. So that's something that I would definitely, you know, education, you can get so much paid for to the ability to travel. And three, the culture experiences that you will have that will shape and give you the memories that will last you a lifetime. I love that. And I love the getting involved in the community because I think sometimes we can get in our like military bubble and like forget we're in this place. Even we've lived in four different places in the, in the States and they're all so different and have like a different way of looking at things and a different way of doing things. And so getting to meet people from different parts of the country has helped expand my horizon and then traveling to different places. And so I think that's really an important reminder. And I love how the military brings like so many different people all together. And then we have to work and like meet the mission. And so it's, it's just been a cool experience to meet people and then like get to do different things. And I love that story of how something from your childhood came back and not even related to the military, but you were able to 
reach your dream and do something really cool. That's that's awesome. Well, thank you so much. Thank you so much, Amanda. I really do appreciate it. It was really, really cool. I just could barely walk in the dress because I will tell you the streets of Italy are cobblestone. So walking in heels and a dress where I felt like I was this big powder puff, but I just was focusing ahead and just, I, I felt like I was walking in cloud night. So thank you. That's really fun. Have you ever experienced like any challenges while being in the military? One of the things that can be an obstacle in the military as a female officer and someone who is a commander is there's not a lot of you. In the U.S. Navy, according to the 2016 demographics, only 0.29% make the rank of commander. And a lot of women, it takes 20 years, and I did it in 11. And I'm proud of that. But I also tell people with that comes that, you know, I'm not what they, you know, what some other of my male counterparts think of what an officer looks like with that ring. And it can be intimidating. And it can also, people can judge you a book by its cover. But what I will tell you by that is take that, take that obstacle as a gift, as an opportunity to learn and also an opportunity to find out. So one of the things, sometimes when I'm challenged on things like my leadership skills or leadership ability, I poise the question back and I say, okay, sir. Okay, ma'am. What are some of the things you are looking for? If you were me, what were the things that you would like me to do so that I can get to that next level? Because I think when we can kind of check our pride at the door and divorce ourselves from the situation and any emotions, we really keep ourselves open and we don't go on the defense. And I know that's so hard. Trust me, it is something I am constantly, constantly working on. But I learn when you tell people, gosh, I didn't have an awareness about that. Or gosh, I, you know, I would love to read the instruction that you are quoting so I can be a better literate for my people. You might be surprised that sometimes it's just something that they read 20 years ago that ha- that they don't know the newest and latest instruction out there. So that is something that's really, really helped me. What I would also tell you is that sometimes it is frustrated that if you take things up to a higher level and people go against it, just remember that in the military, we all move, we all transition. So if you don't like someplace or you don't like a certain leader, you guys just, no matter what, you guys just do not gel. It's not going to be there forever. You're going to move, you're going to change and, you know, take it as an opportunity to be like, okay, this is what I'm going to do. And this is what I'm not going to do in the future because I'm seeing it on the other side of the table. Yeah, that's great advice. That's one of the things that I think I love about the military is that you're not with the same boss and like, you know, that either they're moving or you're moving. And so it's not even like sometimes like my husband's job, they usually are at a job for two years and then they PCA. So they move jobs, but they don't actually move like to a new assignment. And so it's nothing's ever forever in the military, which is really nice. Yeah, I totally agree. It is. That is something very, very nice. So it's a blessing and a curse sometimes because if you love where you are and you love the people, you're like, no, I don't want to go. I don't want to go. So yeah, it's, but you know, yeah. it, it teaches you a lot and it forces you to be really resilient. And and for me, it's, it's taught me to how to be relentless, be relentless and reinventing myself. Yeah. Yeah. That's really good. I'm just like blown away by like all the things that you're doing. And it's really cool to get to hear about the program that you went through and the different so much good advice for women who are either in the military right now and thinking about doing something new or if you're about to join the military about all the different options available to you. But I want to ask you one last question before we wrap up. And it's going to be What advice would you give young women who are considering joining the military? Know your why. What is your reason that you want to join the military? Is it to get your education paid for? Is it to be part of something bigger than yourself? Know that why, know that goal. And I want you to write it down and have it on a post-it note. You look at your mirror every day, or maybe it's a vision board. It's certain word where it's challenge, conviction, capturing, extraordinary. Have that so that when 
you have the good days. And also when you have the rough days, you have that thing to push you. Because I will be honest, the military will use you. But guess what? It is your goddamn right (laughs) to use them as well. And I would definitely tell you, I mean, I I would be in so much student loan debt. I wouldn't have the experience. Yes. Is there things about the military that I don't like? Absolutely. But I would think that's true with any job and any profession and any place you live. There is no perfect. But you know, at the end of the day, if there's, if there's a, if there's three things that you can be grateful for three things that you're why, and you focus on that, guess what? You are going to move further, stronger, and much farther and be a much better person along the way, because your mind can only hold one type of thought and it might as well be positive. Oh, I really like that. I'm working on a book to help women who are considering joining the military. And the first chapter is all about your why. And it's I was like, oh, what I wrote in the book is good because you're saying the exact same thing. So (laughs) that's awesome to hear. Well, great minds think alike. And I cannot wait to read your book once it comes out, Amanda. That is exciting. Thank you. So that's all I have question wise. Is there anything else that I missed or that you want to say to end the interview? First off, thank you so much for having me. And it's honored to be on your show. I've been following it for some time. And um, so great that you got got some great national coverage with Fox News. And also thank you so much for your service. Gosh, to be a service member, a mother, a wife. I mean, you've done roles that I have never done. So um, thank you for all that you do. Because underneath that shirt, I'm sure there's a superwoman symbol that's, that's right there on, on the corner of your heart. If any of your audience has any questions or would like to find me, I have a YouTube YouTube channel, Dr. Corinne Devon on Facebook, Dr. Corinne Devon or Instagram at Dr. Corinne Devon. And that's D-R-C-O-R-I-N-N-E-D-E-V-I-N or email. And thank you so much. I salute everyone out there who has served their country, whether you're the daughter, a wife, um, even if you weren't in the service yourself, guess what? All the people that the spouses that really maintain that foundation, the home front, I salute you. And thank you for what you do because you do a job that I don't think I could do. So you are my heroes. Yeah. And I'll put all the links in the show notes. So if people didn't catch that, they don't have to keep repeating. They can go down into the show notes and click a link and get to your YouTube channel and all your social media. And thank you so much. I've really enjoyed getting to talk to you and hear part of your story. Thank you so much. Have a great rest of the day, Amanda. Thanks. to this week's episode of Women of the Military Podcast. Do you love all things Women of the Military Podcast? Become a subscriber so you never miss an episode and consider leaving a review. It really helps people find the podcast and helps the podcast to grow. Are you still listening? You could be a part of the mission of telling the stories of military women by joining me on Patreon at patreon.com slash women of the military or you can order my book Women of the Military on Amazon. Every dollar helps to continue the work I am doing. Are you a business owner? Do you want to get your product or service in front of the Women of the Military podcast audience? Get in touch with the Women of the Military podcast team to learn more. All the links on how you can support Women of the Military podcast are located in the show notes. Thanks again for listening and for your support.